what does love mean? That was the question researchers posed to a group of children ages four to eight. And as one researcher noted, the answers they got were broader and deeper than anyone could have imagined. One young lady, Chrissy, age six, said, love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. <laughs> Terry, age four, said, love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Danny, age seven, said, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure the taste is okay. Bobby, age five, says, love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and listen. Noel, age seven, said, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, and then he wears it every day. <laughs> Marianne, age four, said, love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. <laughs> Jessica, age seven, says you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. And then Rebecca, age eight, says, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Pretty impressive wisdom there from these young kids. Some powerful answers. I, I, I think it's interesting, friends, how often the youngest among us seem to th see things with such simple clarity. You know, that really, to me, is a reflection of what God's Word tells us in Acts 14, 17. God's Word tells us that God has not left himself without a witness in this world. And, and what that means, friends, is that there are divine truths reflected in our world by God's grace that God has given to all people to point us back to him. Theologians call this God's general revelation. And I would argue this morning that the reality of love is one of God's greatest means of general revelation to our world. Friends, how do we know there's a God? Well, one of the ways we know there is a God is because love is the central longing of every human heart. We know there's a God because even four-year-olds have innate knowledge and an innate recognition of love. Friends, love isn't the accidental byproduct of millions of years of random chance events, and it can't be explained if we are simply accidents evolved out of slimy algae. No, the reality of love is a powerful witness to our creator God, who is the true and perfect source of love. And we're going to see this reality clearly in our passage this morning through God's special revelation, his Holy Spirit-inspired message given to us through the Apostle John. Now, if you've been with us this summer, we have been doing a series through the book of 1 John, Living in Light and Love. And over the last three weeks, we've been looking at John's call to the people of God to live out his love. 
John has been highlighting for us what are the characteristics of a, a true child of God from, from those who are of the world. And, and one of those characteristics that we've seen in the last few weeks is John has highlighted that a child of God, someone living in God, abiding in God, is going to live out love for others. It's one of the chief marks of God's children. And we've seen throughout the last few weeks that, that John has highlighted and preferenced and championed this kind of love. And today, John is going to return to the topic of love. Last week, if you were with us, John interrupted his argument about love by reminding us that there are false spirits at work in our world. There is a true spirit, the Holy Spirit, who lives within us, who empowers us to love the way God calls us to. But there are also false spirits in our world that are seeking to lead people astray. And so we talked about last week, how can we discern true, the true spirit of God from the false spirits in our world? And after giving us that test for truth, John now comes back to his argument about love, the primary mark of the children of God. See, love was the hallmark of John's ministry. It was his greatest concern for the church. John was driven by our Lord's command to love and his desire that we too, as God's followers, would be known for our love. Remember what Jesus told his disciples in John 13, 34 through 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so in our passage this morning, John is going to continue to press deep into our hearts the Lord's calling to love. And in doing this, John is going to highlight for us three fundamental truths today. Three fundamental truths about God's perfect love. Our passage this morning is 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. And we're going to read our passage, and then I want to come back, and I want to highlight for us these, these three fundamental truths about God's perfect love. I'll read. You can follow along in your own Bibles or on the screens behind me, starting in verse 7 this morning. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world." 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Now friends, this is a hugely profound passage this morning. Pastor Stephen and I were talking about this passage and there is literally no way we can plumb the depths of this passage in one sermon. You could dwell on this passage for four weeks easily and still not cover everything here. And so acknowledging that reality, today what I want to do is I want to highlight for us from within this passage three fundamental truths that we see here about God's perfect love. And the first of these truths that John reveals in verses 7 through 10 is that perfect love is rooted in God. It's rooted in God. One of the earliest Sunday school songs I recall learning Maybe a song some of you are familiar with. It it goes like this. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loveth is born of God and knoweth God. You guys know that song? He that loveth not, let's sing it. Knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Right? Friends, Pastor Rick is not the only one who can sing around here, okay? I've been getting grief about that, okay? I've been getting grief about that, all right? Chaz, you want me on the worship team next week? I'm good, so now I'll spare you that one. Friends, John calls us as God's children to love one another. And why are we called to love one another? It's because, as John tells us here, love is from God, and God is love. Now, now the word love that John uses here in the Greek is the word agape. And, And this is the highest form of love revealed to us by God in Scripture. Agape love is a term that John was so committed to, so prioritized in his ministry that what we're going to see in the next two chapters, John's going to use this term over 30 times in the last two chapters of his letter. Agape love is a sacrificial love. It's a selfless love. It's a love that seeks the highest good for another. It's a love that forfeits its own rights and privileges for the sake of the other person. As one of my pastors growing up used to define it, he said love, agape love, is the total commitment to the betterment of another person. And that's the kind of love that God has. That's the kind of love rooted in his nature and character. This selfless, sacrificial love. John tells us that's at the essence of who God is. Agape love is intrinsic to God. Pastor John Piper, describing the meaning of this truth and its relation to our lives, he he says this about this agape love. Love is from God the way heat is from fire or the way light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into who he is. 
It's part of what it means to be God. The sun gives light because it is light, and fire gives heat because it is heat. God's nature is love. And in the new birth, that nature becomes part of who you are. Now, friends, make sure you don't miss what Pastor Piper is saying here in that last sentence. It's a very profound truth. See, perfect love is rooted in God. It comes from God. He's the source of agape love. And so as Pastor Piper points out here, the Apostle John is reminding us here that if we are truly children of God, people who are connected to the very source of love, if we've been born of God into new life through Christ, we will give evidence of that reality by living out this kind of love towards others. We will be people marked by agape love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But now, friends, this raises an interesting question. Because in verse 7, we read here that everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But, but wait a minute, right? I've got unbelieving friends. I've got non-Christian friends and neighbors who, who don't know Jesus, but they're very loving people. D does this mean that they've been born of God and know God? Is that, is that what John's saying here? I, I came across a sermon this week by a Lutheran minister who was arguing for universalism, the idea that all people will be saved. And what was her argument? Her argument was 1 John 4, 7, and the fact that we see people all over the world loving one another. And since people love, well, the Bible says they must have been born of God, right? Friends, sadly, that's not at all what John is implying here. Remember, even the best of human love falls woefully short of God's standard if it doesn't look to the Lord as its first and truest love. Remember what Jesus himself taught his disciples. Jesus said, they came to him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. See, you need to understand this morning that all people... Everyone in the world has the capacity to love. Why? Because all of us were created in the image of God. But a person who is not setting their highest affection on God is a person who hasn't truly been born of God. And so I need to ask you the question, what about you this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, well, wait, I, I'm a very loving person, Pastor Jason. I love my family, and I try to care for other people. And, and I think if you ask most people, they'd say, I'm a loving guy. But I would ask you, is God the chief aim of your affections this morning? Do you love God above all else? Is love for God the priority of your life, above your family, above anything? And if you can't answer that affirmatively, it may be a sign that you haven't truly been born of God. Now, John doesn't want to just lecture us on love this morning. He wants us to see what this agape love looks like in action. And so in verses 9 and 10, John goes on to remind us of the ultimate demonstration of agape love. 
Look at verses 9 and 10 again in your Bibles. By this the love of God was manifested in us or made known among us in other translations. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Friends, what does agape love look like in action? It looks like the gospel, the good news, the message of the cross, God's great love for sinners, reconciling us to himself by the gift of his son and his shed blood on the cross. John uses a word here in verse 10, a a word that we've seen three times already in this letter. He says that Jesus Christ was the propitiation for our sins. The the word propitiation in the Greek is halasmos. It means the means of appeasing wrath. Jesus was the means of appeasing wrath. Whose wrath? God's wrath. Why was God wrathful? Because, friends, all of us have rebelled against him. All of us are polluted with a spiritual disease called sin, which reeks in the nostrils of a holy, perfect God. When I was in college, I was a part of a mission team with a ministry called Sports Ambassadors. We went down to Guatemala and El Salvador for a month, and we would play basketball games in various towns and villages, and then we would hold evangelistic crusades following our games. And I was called to be one of the the primary speakers for this mission team. I I wasn't known for my basketball skills, but I could speak somewhat, you know. So so they said, all right, Jason, you just kind of dribble and pass to the guy who can shoot, and then you preach afterwards. And I said, okay, I can handle that. Now, I was excited about this opportunity, but I was just a young guy starting out in ministry. And so I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, hey, they they want me to be the evangelistic speaker. Uh, what, What should I say? I mean, do you have any good messages for me to share? And my dad gave me a great message, uh, a message that I've never forgotten, and it's a message I've shared all over the world. It's called Four Things That God Does Not Know. Friends, did you know there are four things God does not know? It's true. The, The first point of the sermon is like this. God does not know a sin he does not hate. You see, God is holy, and God is righteous, And he cannot tolerate sin. And because of our sin, we can never enter into God's holy presence. You see, sin and God's holiness are like oil and water. They just don't mix. And so that's our fundamental problem as men and women, is that we are inherently separated, intrinsically separated from God because of his holiness, his righteousness, his moral perfection and purity. And there's nothing that we can do to bridge that gap. God does not know a sin he doesn't hate. But the second point of the sermon is this. God does not know a sinner he does not love. Isn't that good news this morning, friends? John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, the world, all of us, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Why did God do that? Because of his love for us. Romans 5.8, God proved his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. See, we didn't do anything to earn that love. We didn't do anything to deserve that love. But because God is love, 
he took it upon himself to make a way for us to be saved. The, the third point of this sermon is God does not know a better plan of salvation than the one he's given us. Romans 6.23 says that while the wages of sin are death, the gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And friends, there's no better plan and there's no other way to be saved than to receive God's gift of grace through his son, Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ went to that cross, he shed his blood to wash and cleanse you of your sins, to purify you of your unrighteousness. And so now when our holy God looks upon us, if we have put our trust in Jesus as the source of our salvation, if we've called him to forgive us and, and, and asked him to forgive us and, and confessed our sins and, and dedicated ourselves to following him as the Lord of our lives, he washes us, he cleanses us, and God no longer sees our sin, but he sees the shed blood of Jesus that covers us. And the last point of the sermon goes like this. God does not know a better time than now for you to respond to this gift of salvation. See, friends, why would you ever forfeit this opportunity to receive God's amazing grace? Why would you delay in, in accepting God's amazing love for you? See, tomorrow's not guaranteed for any of us, friends. And your God in heaven, your creator, offers you this amazing gift. And he says, all you need to do is receive it by faith. And you can know true and perfect love. See, I didn't realize it at the time, but this sermon was all about propitiation. This sermon was all about Jesus as the means of God appeasing his wrath against my sin. God in his great love sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice so that I could be reconciled to him. How do we know what perfect love looks like, friends? We know it by looking to the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, the second fundamental truth about love that we find in our passage this morning is that perfect love is desired by God. In verses 11 through 12, John reveals God's desire for the love he's called us to. Let me read these verses for us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What's God's desire for us when it comes to love? God's hope for his people is that his love might be perfected in us. That's his hope for us, friends. Now the word perfected here in the Greek is teleo. It means to become mature or complete. And that's what God desires for us, is he wants his love to come to maturity or completeness in us. John is, is saying to us here, look at God's love, his perfect love. It finds its fullest expression. It reaches its ultimate goal when we as God's children embrace his love and then express that same agape love to others. Friends, that's the goal. That's God's desire for us. Husbands, God wants you to sacrificially love your wife like Jesus loved us. Wives, God wants you to selflessly love your husband. Why? Because Jesus selflessly loved us. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, God calls us to love one another in humility, in service, in compassion, faithfully, sacrificially. Why? Because that's how God first loved us. God calls us to live out his perfect love. He wants to see it brought to maturity, brought to completion in his people. And notice here, what is the motivation for living out this kind of love? Look again at verse 11. John says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Friends, our motivation is the cross. Our motivation is Jesus. We look to Jesus and we saturate our hearts in the truth of the gospel. And we let the power of his amazing grace and his love propel us into action for others. I'm going to tell you something this morning. It is very hard to be a selfish, self-centered person when you are living your life in the shadow of the cross. Well, Pastor Jason, I, 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 just, I just don't feel like sacrificially loving my wife anymore. And I would say turn around and look to the cross. And look at the sacrifice Jesus made for you. And you're going to tell me that you can't sacrificially love your wife? Well, Jason, selflessly loving my husband, you don't realize he's been a real jerk this last week. And I would say turn around and look at the shadow of the cross that casts over your life. And look at Jesus selflessly giving all for you. And tell me that you cannot selflessly love your husband. See, friends, it's very hard when you live your life in the shadow of the cross to not live out that same sacrificial, selfless love for others. And I want you to notice something. John tells us here there's a remarkable byproduct to God's love being perfected in us. Look at verse 12. John says, no one has seen God at any time. No one has ever seen God, friends. Why? Because God is spirit. He's a spirit. Okay? In the Old Testament, there were certain manifestations of God, but it wasn't God. It was manifestations of God. No one can see God, John says. But look what he says. If God's love abides in us, if we love one another, his love is perfected in us. In other words, what John is saying to us here is, look, at people may not be able to see God, but when they see God's people living out love for one another, they are seeing tangible evidence that God is real and his love is powerful and it's alive in us. And I'll tell you something, there is no more powerful testimony to a watching world than when they see God's people faithfully living out love for one another. It's a powerful testimony that God exists, that he is real, that his love is powerful. And I'm really thankful this morning. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that, that seeks to live out this kind of agape love consistently among our brothers and sisters here and, and in our community amongst our neighbors Friends, we don't do it perfectly. We haven't arrived, but I'm telling you, God is doing a powerful work through his spirit creating in us a people where his love is being brought to maturity, brought to completion. I, I think of so many examples. I think of how a few years ago this church rallied around my family when my wife was battling cancer. 
and the many just tangible acts and demonstrations of love that you gave to us. I, I think of Pastor Stephen and his family and the way our church is currently surrounding them and supporting them with God's agape love. I think of what happens here every single week in our adult Bible fellowship groups. Hundreds of people praying for one another on prayer chains. Brothers and sisters in Christ reaching out to one another, tangibly serving one another, meeting one another's practical needs. I think of the many volunteers faithfully serving in children's ministry each week changing diapers, serving snacks, cleaning up messes. Why? Because they love those kids and they love the families of our church. I, I think of groups like Hope Ministries, a, a group that started in our church just a couple years ago with the intent purpose of loving families who were going through adoption or serving as foster families. I think of our Benevolence Fund that many of you contribute to, which we give away thousands of dollars every year to people in need in our community. What a blessing and privilege. I, I think of our sharing shop ministry, where we donate gently used clothing to people in our community, people in need. That ministry, friends, by the way, needs a new leader. After 15 years, the, the current leadership is stepping down. Maybe God will inspire one of you to step up and take over that ministry as a means of loving others. I think of our Stephen ministry and the dozens of men and women who offer compassionate one-on-one -on -one care to their brothers and sisters in Christ going through difficult trials in life. I think of the many parachurch ministries coming out of Lakes Free. I think of groups like Missionary Evangelism to Corrections and the many men and women in our church who are regularly going into the jails sharing the love of God with prisoners. I think of groups like Amborella House, a new ministry some of you are involved with, rescuing women out of sexual slavery, setting them on a path that leads to life and life to the full. I think of people quietly serving in our community without any fanfare at all. People like Don Sandberg, who is serving as the spiritual care director at Parmley Living Facilities for the senior care facility here in Chisago orchestrating the spiritual care for the residents there. Church services, Bible studies, prayer. Friends, innumerable ways that God's love is at work through this church. Don't ever take for granted what God is doing here at Lakes Free, friends. But there's also a word of warning to us this morning. We gotta be on guard because the enemy wants to attack that kind of love. He wants to diminish our effectiveness. And one of his greatest tools to lead us astray is what I call the idolatry of self. Friends, there's probably no greater risk to Christians in America today than the idolatry of self. And here's how it works. The enemy whispers into our ear, what's in it for you? What are you going to get out of this? What's the joy for you? What's the, what's the benefit to you? How is this going to increase your pleasure or your affluence? And we buy into that lie that it's all about me. And so we need to be on guard and we need to continue looking to Jesus. We need to continue to abide in him and his amazing grace. We need to pray that God's spirit would further compel us to love even greater. That he might inspire us to even greater acts of service for one another and for our neighbors. 
so that all who see our lives might know that God is real and he is a God of amazing love. The third truth that John highlights in our passage this morning is that perfect love is promised from God. Now, we've already seen John bring the topic of judgment day to our attention a couple times here in this letter. The reality that one day all of us will stand before God and face his judgment. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't fear judgment day because our ultimate judgment was taken by Jesus on the cross. But we'll still stand before God and be judged based on what we did for him in this life, how we served him. But John tells us here in verse 17, very interesting. He says in verse 17, by this love is perfected with us so that we may also have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. By this, love is perfected with us. What is the by this? Well, you got to go back another verse or two. Verse 15, John says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. In other words, what John is saying here is, look at judgment day is real. But for the one who abides in God and has received the promise of the gospel and embraced Jesus as your Savior and Lord, friends, you need not fear judgment day. You need not fear standing before our holy creator God. Why can we have confidence on the day of judgment? John tells us at the end of verse 17, look at this, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Friends, I want you to underline that verse. I want you to take a yellow marker when you get home and highlight that. I want you to get a red pen, put three red exclamation points behind that. I want you to put an asterisk by it. You need to mark that verse because there is no greater truth in the whole Bible than that. Right there. As he is, so also are we in this world. And what does that mean? Friends, the very same way our Father in heaven looks at the Son, Jesus Christ, he looks at you if you're a child of God. The love that the Father in heaven has for Jesus Christ is the love he has for you if you are a forgiven and secure child of God. As he is, as Jesus is, so also are we in the world. Friends, what an amazing promise that is. Because of Jesus Christ and our trust in him, God's word tells us that we are sons and daughters of God, heirs of God's promise, Righteous in God's sight, clothed with Christ, able to boldly enter God's presence, secure in God's love, victorious over the enemy, citizens of heaven. God's word tells us that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, light in the Lord, ambassadors of Christ, reconciled unto God, holy and blameless in his sight, free from accusation. Friends, you want me to go on? I can. We are raised with Christ, hidden with Christ in God, awaiting our rewards. We are recipients of a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. We are bearers of a crown of righteousness. We are possessors of an anchor for the soul. We are reborn into a living hope. But there's even more. 
We are imperishable. We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are dead to sin, healed by his wounds, strong, firm, and steadfast. We've been purchased by God. We are partakers of living water, and one day we are destined to dance on streets of gold. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Friends, do you know Jesus Christ this morning? Have you put your hope in him as your Savior and Lord? Because if you have, this promise is true about you. As Jesus is, so also are you in this world. We have confidence as followers of Jesus on the day of judgment because God's perfect love is promised to us. He no longer sees us in our sin, but he sees us as he sees his son. Holy, righteous, pure. That's amazing grace, friends. You know, this morning I thought there'd be no better way for us to allow the truths of this passage to, to seep deep into our souls than to come to the Lord's table together. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up and, and lead us in music and our elders to come forward to serve communion today.